Today is the day that the Lord has made. For whatever happens, today is the day the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? 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 Amen. There we go. Hey, today we get to uh, close up a sermon series on the spiritual gifts that we've been looking at for the, the past number of weeks. And as we've been looking at these spiritual gifts, here's been the definition that we've been working with. As we survey scripture, here's what we believe the, the, the scripture says about spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a supernaturally empowered ability given to each Christian by the will of the Holy Spirit to unite and fully equip the church to live out its mission. Intentionally a very packed statement because the spiritual gifts are a very rich theology. Let me just take a quick moment just for the last time. Survey what spiritual gifts are. They're supernaturally empowered. They may not always be or seem supernatural in and of themselves. Sometimes it's just a, an amazing gift to help people. Sometimes it's just an amazing gift to, to be a great administrator with the complexity of a big church. But either way, they're supernaturally empowered, which means the Holy Spirit is the acting agent behind these gifts. And he, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has given these gifts to Christians. Not everyone gets these. Just those who have placed their faith in the risen Jesus. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives you a gift so that you would be a part of uniting the church and so that you and we would be equipped to live out the mission of the church. And we've decided to start this year, 2022, by looking at the spiritual gifts because as we look at our church and, and the, the beautiful ways that God's bringing so many awesome people into this church family, and as we look at the broken world around us, we know that God's called us to be the body of Christ for our community, to be a light to our community. And so we want to make sure that we are a church empowered to be able to, to meet the needs for our community, to be able to shine the light, to be able to be who God has called us to be. And that, hear me, hear me, that's going to take every single one of us. That's going to take everybody. Everybody who has claimed the name of Jesus and who calls this church their home, it's going to take you and me and all of us. So a big prayer throughout this entire sermon series is that you would be able to begin to discern what your gift is and where God would have you be using it. So today we are going to finish up this sermon series. It's been one big walk through of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hopefully you know that. If you don't, go ahead and turn to this section. That's where we're going to be looking at today as we close up the series. Verse 27 to 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you're turning there, reminder, this is one big letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, Corinth, Greece. That's why it's called the Corinthians. He's, he wrote it to the Corinthians some 2,000 years ago under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what we'd call like an occasional letter. Like Paul, they, they apparently had, had wrote to Paul, asked him some questions. He writes back to try to answer the questions that they have. Clearly, one of the questions they had was about spiritual gifts. And as you look at the, if you look at the, the text, it becomes kind of apparent that probably the focus of their question had to do with, with the gift of tongues. And so Paul uses that as an opportunity to to give a, a general teaching on, on the spiritual gifts, but he also speaks specifically to the notion of tongues. If you want to know where we stand in that, go back to week two where we surveyed that. So we're going to finish up chapter 12 today, verses 27 to 31. Church, friends and family, 
Would you hear the word of the Lord? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and we'll get to it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we close up this series, our prayer is that you have been glorified, that your truth has been proclaimed, and that your church has been built up through the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would help the people of Peace Church to discern their gifts, the gifts that you have given them, both young and old, that you would lead them in the way to which you want them to use the gift that you have given them. And it is in the precious, perfect, and powerful name of Jesus that we pray these things. And everyone said, amen and amen. So for a recap, here's been kind of the arc of the sermon series that we've looked at for these past number of weeks. Week one, we looked at the fact that you are filled. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, if you've placed your faith in the risen Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. You are filled. And the Holy Spirit has also gifted you. That's what we looked at week two. If you're a Christian, he's given you a gift. The question is, is what gift and where are you supposed to be using it? Last week, we looked at the fact that every person who God has called to be a part of his church is needed. We looked at the beautiful passage where where the the scriptures show us and tell us that no one can say to another church member, you're not needed. We're all needed to do what God's called us to do, that he has arranged us and gifted us. We are all needed. And today, we're going to look at how we are united. And I just got to say that while this has been a walkthrough of spiritual gifts, what you need to understand here, this is a picture of what it means to be a Christian, This is what it means when you place your faith in Jesus. This is what happens. Yes, we're specifically talking about the gifts, but for for the Christian life, this is what it means. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, gifted to do something. You're needed in the church, and you're united. You are united to him and to each other. And that's our main point for today. If I give you one, one main point, here's what it would be. By the blood of Christ, you are united to Christ and in Christ. By the blood of Christ, you are united to Christ and in Christ. Would you guys say this with me? By the blood of Christ, you are united to Christ and in Christ. And as I was thinking about today's message and looking at the idea of union and unity and united to Christ and united to each other, I couldn't help but think of a great friend of mine. Some of you may know him, Pastor Ethan Ezekian. Some of you know As some of you may remember, Pastor Ethan was our worship pastor for six years. But a couple years ago, he felt the call to be a church planter. And as a church, we tearfully blessed him to go off and go go get trained as a church planter. And this past fall, he planted Union Church. Union Church over in Brighton, Michigan. And as I was thinking about Union and being united, he came to mind Clearly, this is a man who has thought deeply about this this idea. He named his church after it. 
So I wanted to pick his brain. I wanted to talk to him and, and see his thoughts on this whole idea of being united. So we jumped on a Zoom call, re-recorded it. I want to play you a clip of our conversation that we had over Zoom. It's a great conversation. We didn't talk for all that long. We'll make the larger conversation available for you. I think it's, I think it's really worth your 15 minutes. Uh, but let me just play you a couple minutes of our conversation because I think what Pastor Ethan has to say about this is something we all, all need to hear. Just real quickly, anybody, anybody here remember Pastor Ethan? Are you here? Yeah. Yeah. All right, here we go. When Paul's saying you are members of Christ's body, he's talking about like these, like these are members, my fingers and my toes and my arms and my legs. These are members of my body. They never did anything to become a part of me. They just are a part of me. And that's what union with Christ is. It's a, a relationship, a covenantal connection between Jesus and his people. And when we think of ourselves as members of Christ's body, I love that image because it means that our union with Christ um, helps us to see that Christ is compassionate toward us. Like when you stub your toe, uh, how many of you are going to get angry and cut it off from your body? No, of course not. You're going to like run toward your pain and, and be gentle with your pain. And, and, and when your body kind of rebels against you, your instinct isn't to get rid of it. It's to, it's to heal it, right? And so to be united with Jesus as members of his body gives us a level of assurance. It gives us a level of, of um, comfort of being able to rest in Jesus. And if you look at other parts of the New Testament, there are other, you know, facets of the diamond that you can, you can just turn and see how deep this connection with Jesus is. But, but one of the reasons that we chose to name our church Union Church it, it was first because of what I've already talked about, that, that union with Jesus is the foundation of the gospel. Every benefit we have through knowing Jesus comes from union with Christ. But there's a secondary benefit that is so important in the life of the church, and, and that's that union with Christ unites us to each other. Like Amen. Uh, Ephesians 2 Paul is writing to a bunch of Gentile Christians. And, and if you know your Bible, you know that like the Gentiles and the Jews were not people who mixed, not people who liked one another. The Jews saw Gentiles as far away from God's promises. But Paul's writing to these Gentiles and he says, you Gentiles were strangers and aliens to the promises of God. And now he's, he's talking about the community of faith. He says, now you're welcomed in, you're reconciled. The wall of hostility has been torn down. And he's not talking about a wall of hostility between God and people. There is that, there's a theological category for, for the wrath of God towards sinners, but that's not what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. He's talking about hostility for people toward each other. Uh, and so union with Christ unites us and reconciles us to God, but it also makes it possible for the hostility between people groups that sin creates to be torn down. And so we just wanted our church to be uh, as much as possible a living picture of that. I just love that, the whole idea of like the, the church is a living picture. I love Pastor Ethan. If you don't know much about Union Church, check him out. It's great, great ministry to, to get to know and support. But this idea of like, a living picture. If you have placed your faith in the risen Jesus, 
that makes you a living picture of what it means to be united to him and united to each other. And let's just be honest with each other here. It's just us today, okay? Like, some of us got work to do on that, don't we? But you can't deny the fact that this is what happens when we become a Christian. So let me give you some pictures, some living pictures about what it means to be united to Christ as we walk through our passage today. Here's our outline for, for this morning. In Christ, you are united. And because of that, you have a place at the table. And you are now part of the story, and you have a purpose in the mission. You have a place at the table, you're part of the story, and you have a purpose in the mission. So point number one, you are united, and therefore you have a place at the table. Paul starts off, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is an incredibly powerfully packed statement. This is a sermon alone type verse. I want you to notice a few things here. Paul is calling the church here the body of Christ. Until Jesus Christ literally, physically returns from heaven, the church is the representation of Jesus on the planet here and now. We, like when the, church, when the community looks at the church, like we're supposed to show them Jesus. He calls this church, now, reminder, like he wrote to the Corinthians. He wrote to this church in Corinth. He said, you are the body of Christ. What Paul is saying is that yes, in a sense that yes, when we are united to, to all the church, to the global church, yes, that's the body of Christ. But, but Paul is saying that local churches, like the church at Corinth, like the church here at Peace, the local church is a full expression of the body of Christ. This is powerful. This is weighty. We should take this with honor, but also with responsibility. Like when the church looks at peace, we get to show them who Jesus is in a full sense. We are the body of Christ to our community. But let me say this. Please hear me on this. The community will get a clearer picture of who Jesus is when we are all using the gift that God has given us. That's when, the, that's when the community begins to truly see who Jesus is. It's when we are using the gift and we are functioning in the way that God has ordered and designed. I'm curious in our very, very busy rhythms of life, do, do we still have families? Do we still have like dinner together as family? People still do that these days? Is it, or is that just like a bygone thing? Anybody? Let me know. Let me, let's just see here. A few of us still have a good. So like phones and sports haven't totally demolished everything yet, right? Okay. So one thing you need to know is like, you know that you are a member of my household because at the dinner table, you have a seat. Like in my family, we all have our seat around the dinner table. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when we, when you, as a family, when we look at the dinner table, we know who sits where. And when you look at the dinner table, especially after dinner, you can see who sat where. <laughs> My son Will, he will have the messiest spot. My son Jed, he will try to get away from, with only eating half his meal. You know what I'm saying, right? Like when you look at the table, we all have our seat. Now listen to me. When we have friends or family over, what do we do? We make them a seat. And that's great. But my family is the one who has a seat. 
And this is what it's like to be in Christ. You have a seat at the table. Now, I don't mean that you get to own whatever seat you're sitting in here. We don't have assigned seating here in the worship center or in, the, in, the, in one of our venues. But you get the notion that as a member of the household, as a member of the household of faith, you have a seat. And do you know what this means? So like when one of my kids, uh, you know, maybe they have a practice or they're at grandma's or maybe they're at a friend's house. Like when, when they're not there, do you know what happens to their seat? It stays empty. They're missing because that's their seat. Only they can fill their seat. That's what it's like for the church. You have a seat that only you, you can fill. And when you're not here or when you're not using your gift, it stays empty and we're not complete. Just like when one of my kids are gone from the dinner table, we're not complete. When you're not using your gift, when you're not here, we are not complete. And the world doesn't get to see a full picture of the expression of Jesus. Church, you are, you are needed and you are united. When the church gathers and you are not here, we are not complete. Something is missing. Only you can fill your empty seats. To be united to Christ means you have a place at the table. This is intentionally family language. When you become a Christian, you enter into the family of God. You enter into the faith family. And listen to me, in this family, Jesus sits at the head of the table. Amen? Amen. But we gather around and have a seat here. Peace Church is the body of Christ. And individually, you are all united to this body if you've placed your faith in Jesus. That gives you a place at the table. Listen to me. Not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. He has done this for you and he has called you to this. It's because of what Jesus has done. And with our faith in Christ, not only do you have a family, which means you have relationship, you also have a role. You have a role to play. You are now part of the story. Paul goes on to, to, to talk about some, some roles and some gifts. And then he gives a series of rhetorical questions. Let's revisit it. Verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. And then a series of rhetorical questions we'll get to in a moment. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Again, Paul pointing to the, the vast array of the different gifts and callings that God has placed on the church. But this passage is one of great controversy, and it has led to some very unbiblical practices among churches. So let's see what's happening here for a moment. Reminder, place everything in context. The Corinthians had asked Paul a series of theological questions. Clearly, one of the questions was about gifts, probably specifically about the gifts of tongues. And Paul is masterfully writing back to them, striking this awesome balance between downplaying an unhealthy zeal for tongues while also elevating that every person is critical for the church to be the church. And after a great discourse on the body of Christ that we looked at last week, Paul underscores this one more time, this idea of various roles and gifts within the church. But then he gives this series of rhetorical questions. And let me just say this to you. The answer for each of these 
is emphatically, undeniably, no. The whole point of this whole discourse is that we are all different. We're not the same. We're united in Christ, but we all play a different role. So I'm going to read these rhetorical questions, and I want you to provide the correct answer, which is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No, no they don't. And do all interpret? No. No. This would go against everything, this whole argument Paul is trying to build, that we're all different and that we're all, but yet all needed because we all bring something different. God has given each of us different gifts so that we are not all the same. And, and so that we would all be needed to build each other up. Because without you, we're not whole. And we can't be built up unless we are whole. And the fact that you are a Christian, if you are, this means you have a gift, which means you are now part of Jesus building his church on earth. What else would you want to be a part of? Union with Christ means you have a seat at the table, means you have a family now in the church, you have a relationship here, and you have a role here. It means that you're now part of the story. You're part of how Jesus is building his church which means building up each other and blessing each other. Just for a quick moment, think about the people on either side of you, behind you, and in front of you. Think about those people for a moment. If you are a Christian and you call this church your home church, the gift that God has given you is meant to build up these people around you, to, to bless them. And lastly, to be united to Christ and to his church means that you now have a purpose in the mission. Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. This word higher could also be translated as, as greater. It's this higher, greater gifts. A couple notes about this. Apparently, it seems to be okay to want certain gifts, but we are to want the higher, the greater gifts. Which ones are those? Interesting. Let's ask that for a second. The main thrust of this whole idea of gifts is that they are meant to build the church. And again, Paul is saying clearly here that tongues is not the greatest gift. But again, Paul is saying here it's not just the gift. It's what the gifts do. You should know this by now if you've been with us for this sermon series. The gifts are given to build the church. So I think the idea here is that we should, we should not just desire whatever gifts that we think are cool. Right? We, sh we shouldn't desire gifts that elevate our status. We shouldn't desire gifts that help us to build a platform. We should desire the higher gifts, the greater gifts. Those are the gifts that do what the gifts are meant to do, to build the church. So what Paul is saying is that we should desire the higher, the greater gifts, those gifts that do a greater work to build the church. Those are the gifts that we should desire. Not necessarily the more miraculous ones, but the ones that go to help build the church. And as a growing church, our needs are evolving as a church. We need certain gifts more than we probably need others at times, but we need everyone using the gift that they've been given. 
Paul is saying here that you have a responsibility to be building up your brothers and sisters in Christ. So desire the gifts that do that the most. Not so you can show up and show off. This goes right in to what Paul says in this very next line. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Even more excellent than the gifts. What is that way? Well, if you know your Bibles, you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the very next passage, is the great chapter on love in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives the world, the entire world, one of the most profound descriptions of love in all of written human history. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or chapter 13 before. Do you guys know this chapter? Love is patient, love is kind. Do you know how this chapter starts off? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophetic powers and can fathom all mysteries, but do not have love, I am nothing. You know what this means? That unless you have love in your heart, don't say anything. Unless you have love in your heart, keep your mouth shut. This is a more excellent way than even the gifts. The gifts are needed. We all have them. We're all to be using them. But a more excellent way is love. This is powerful. This whole, this whole verse, in a, sense, in a sense, this whole chapter is a preamble to 1 Corinthians 13. That whatever happens in a church, love should be the prevailing theme. That we are to love one another. And that the spiritual gifts are there to see the church built up in truth, in power, and in our love and care for one another. And if you are here last week, you heard me go on a big long rant about caring for each other. I'm zealous for that to happen. But let's think about these categories for a moment. Truth, love, and caring for one another. Truth, love, and caring for one another. Hold those in your heads for a moment. And let me ask you, do you agree that in the past two years, with this global pandemic, the world has shown us that it lacks truth, love, and caring for one another? Desperate, hard times are supposed to be the times where we see the best of what someone has to offer. We've seen the best that the world has to offer these past two years, and it has nothing to offer. But confusion and division and strife. And you may be thinking, oh, what are you, you going to say then? Then those are found in the church? They're supposed to be, but they're not always found perfectly. But I'm not asking you to look to the church. I'm asking you to look to the one who does these things perfectly. I'm asking you to look to Jesus. Because Jesus Christ is the personification of truth. He is the embodiment of love. And you want to know how much he cares for you? He gave up his life for you. Truth, love, and caring for one another are non-existent in this world. And if they do, it's a pathetic fabrication. In the church, we do it. We don't do it perfectly, but we're working on it. But if you want to see it, Perfectly look to Jesus. 
The world has given you the best it has to offer and it's left us broken and divided. And you know what? We've all played a part in this because of sin. And this sin has broken us. It's divided us from, from each other. And worst of all, it's separated us from God. And Christ has come. He has come to bring us back to God and bring us back to each other. To do all the things that we've talked about today, to give you a place at the table, to give you a part in his story, to give you a purpose in this world. This is what Jesus does for us. Listen to me. And he did this, not just with good intentions and world-class moral teaching. Jesus did this with his blood. That's how real this is, what he's done for us. He did it with his blood. And he did it with his blood because this sin that we have in our lives is no innocent thing. Sin is breaking God's law. And that means justice must be paid. And Christ has paid it for us. This justice that is demanded, Jesus paid this justice by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. You see, the cross, the cross reminds us that we are not just forgiven. Listen to me, because this is, this is a theologically packed statement that too many Christians fail to recognize. In the cross, we are not just forgiven, we are justified. By, the, by Christ's work on the cross, God doesn't just forgive us, meaning I for, you're still a sinner, but I forgive you. He justifies us. That means when, G, when God looks at us, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, when God looks at us, he looks at, at, looks at us as if we never sinned. That we are completely justified. That we are completely made new. He hasn't just pardoned our sins. He's made us innocent. This is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And when he rose from the grave, he proved to the world that he was not just a nice guy. He was the reigning king and son of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, to bring us back to God and to bring us back to each other. But this is only possible by putting our ultimate trust and hope in him, by forsaking the sin, our sins, forsaking the world, and embracing the love and the grace that God has for us in Jesus Christ. And it is time. For some of you, it's time. It's time to take that step of faith. You've known God's been calling you. You've heard the gospel call. Today is the day to embrace it. Find true love. You're not going to find it in the world. Find truth. You're not going to find it on the internet. You're only going to find it in Jesus. There is nothing you can do to earn this. This is why we call it grace. However bad you are, that's how great Jesus is as a Savior. This is the gospel. That God sent his son to die for our sins so that we could have life now and forevermore. Embrace the salvation that is offered to you through Jesus. Embrace the love that God has for you in Christ. And take a step into a perfectly broken but beautiful family of God where you can find rest, eternal security, where you can find truth, where you can find love, and where you can find purpose where you are part of what God is doing in this world. I can't say it any better than Jesus Christ himself, who said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Would you please stand?